evening. If you have your Bibles, please open to the book of Romans, chapter 16. Um, We are turning to Romans 16. If you don't have a Bible, you feel free to use the one in the P rack in front of you. You can find our passage on page 950. I'm sure, as you all know, tonight is a special night. Uh, Many uh, friends and guests of the Turbyville family are here, and we're so glad that you are here. You're welcome and thankful to have this time tonight to celebrate our dear pastor and friend, Dean. But you're also here, whether you realize it or not, at the end of our series in Romans. We started this a year and a half ago in July of 2022. We're not in Martin Lloyd-Jones category, but still, it's a uh, Romans is like an old friend at this point, and so uh, it's a blessing to be able to uh, have this night together as we consider the last ten verses of this passage. So I'm glad that you are here and pray and have been praying that the Lord would be honored uh, and that we would all be strengthened in our faith tonight. With that, let's look at Romans 16, beginning in verse 17, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. Hear the word of our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for these final words of this great letter. I pray that you would brand the words of life unto all of our hearts, that we would know you and delight in you all of our days. We ask for your Spirit's help now as we seek to worship you in hearing and understanding your word. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, we find ourselves uh, in a night of goodbyes. We'll, in just a little while, have the opportunity to say goodbye, in a sense, to Pastor Dean and to show your love and support for him, for Nancy. Again, we're glad that you're here, if that's why you're here. 
I know for myself, if you're anything like me, I don't really like goodbyes. I've had to do it myself a few times, saying goodbye to people that I love, knowing I may not see them again. Hopefully you'll see Dean again, but, you know, it's not an easy thing to do, to say goodbye. And you're coming here tonight, and perhaps you're aware that there's another sense in which we are going to say goodbye to the book of Romans. Of course, you can continue reading Romans, and I encourage you not to abandon the book, but for our Sunday evening series, uh, this is the final one, at least for the time being. And it's, again, for me, it's like saying goodbye to an old friend. And even as we read these last ten verses of this letter, we have an opportunity to hear the Apostle Paul himself say goodbye to the church in Rome. How do you say goodbye? Well, the Apostle Paul says goodbye to the Roman Christians here, essentially by by first giving a warning to them, and then he concludes with a praise. He gives them a warning and a praise before he signs off. And that's going to be our outline for tonight. We're going to see Paul's final warning in verses 17 through 20, and then we will look at his final praise in verses 25 through 27. So if you have your Bibles, look at verse 17. We'll begin looking at the warning that Paul gives in his farewell. Look at this warning. He has a a concern for the church in Rome as he is saying goodbye, as he's concluding this letter. We've talked about this before. Paul's not yet been to the church in Rome. He wants to get to Rome, but he hasn't been there yet. But that doesn't mean he doesn't know the people there. He does. He knows the church in Rome. He knows the Christians who are there, and he loves them. If you spend any time in the book of Romans studying it, you know that he loves him. He's poured his heart out. He's used the full depths of his mind and his emotions and his heart in speaking to this church. And so it's out of this love for them that he gives this warning. And it's a warning about the danger of false teaching. The danger of false teaching. There's a concern that someone will come into the church and teach something that is different than the one true gospel. You see that in verse 17. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. You see that and hear that. You may wonder, why would anybody want to do that? Why would anybody care about the church enough to to come into it and start teaching something different than its true teaching and doctrine? Why would anyone want to put any sort of obstacles between a Christian believer and Jesus Christ? You say, Paul, I, I think you're just, you're a little overprotective here. But actually, Paul's concern for the Christians is not without warrant. If you've spent any time reading the New Testament letters, uh, you know that false teaching is at the heart of many problems within the early church. 
Take, for instance, the books in, of Galatians and Colossians and 1 Corinthians. You read that and you, you see that there are devastating effects. When false teaching uh, sneaks into the church. And then if you were to back out and you were to look at church history overall, you'll see how it seems like every age there's false teaching that pops up. You know, even times that we love to celebrate, such as the Reformation. Why was the Reformation necessary? It was necessary because false teaching had infiltrated the church like a cancer. And people were prevented from knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Reformation was what? It was an unveiling so that people can know Scripture and read it and come to know God. To know Christ is life. But to be apart from Christ is death. And that's what false teaching brings. And we don't have the specifics of the false teaching that Paul is warning about here, but we do see what it does. What do false teachers do? Well, verse 17 says that false teachers cause divisions. It means that a false teacher is in the business of, of, of destroying the unity of the church. Now you might say, well, sometimes people just get it wrong and they need to know that they're wrong. And, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring this wedge in here just to, to, you know, shake things up because it needs to be shaken up. But I, I don't think we can overstate how awful and sinful it is to create division in the church. I don't think we can overstate how important unity in the church is to our Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, it was on His lips in prayer in the Gospel of John chapter 17, the night before He's taken to the cross. And perhaps His most intense moments of His earthly life before He goes to the cross, what does He pray for? He doesn't pray that God would you know, take away the cross from Him. No, he's, he's praying... That we would be one. That you and I, that the church would be one just as the Father and the Son are one. And you see that this is the heart of our Savior Jesus Christ. In these intense moments. And when you see that's His great desire, how much we ought to realize and recognize how vile a sin it is to be someone who would come in and bring division in the church. They may wonder, well, how does false teaching cause division exactly? Well, verse 17 goes on to say, well, is it cause division, but you create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you have been taught. In other words, what you're doing when you're preaching something other than the true gospel of Jesus Christ is you are building obstacles. You're building walls between the, the believer and the Lord Jesus. You're creating a barrier to Jesus Christ. Earlier in Romans, Paul writes, God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Any message that would change or contradict that 
will never bring you closer to God. It will only turn you away from Him and towards death, towards hell. This is so important that Paul will write in Galatians that if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Anyone. Even if it's an angel that comes down from heaven and starts preaching something different than the cross of Jesus Christ, even if it's Paul himself, may I be cursed if I would preach anything different than the true gospel. I can even attest to this in my own personal life. Personally, having seen this tragedy play out where a man with charm and charisma can warm himself up to a church and everything seems okay at first and then starts preaching a different gospel. Maybe little at first, but then tends to grow more and more. And yet, by force of personality, maintains his place. And before you know it, the church is divided The gospel, the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ is absent. And the church is torn to shreds. And what you find in the congregation is not clarity and love for one another, but you find a cloud of confusion. You can always tell a false teacher in your midst because the fruit of their lives points to the reality that they're not really serving Christ. Verse 18 will say, it tells us that uh, a false teacher serves their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. In other words, Paul says, watch out for the motivations of people who come into the church and teach and preach. Are their motivations really that Christ be glorified, or is it their own appetites? Is it their own pleasures? And instead of denying themselves so that they would decrease and Christ would increase, that's what a true gospel preacher will do. Such a person preaches instead something contrary to true doctrine. Something that will elevate the preacher and minimize the Savior. And it always ends in the same way. Division and ruin amongst the body of Christ. If you've ever seen it happen, if you've ever experienced it or been a part of it, it can make you cynical. Because it strikes deep into your heart. You see, people that you have loved turn into enemies. And I think about that. I think, oh... This can't be the last night of Romans. We need Romans. We need a book like Romans. Because it keeps bringing us back to the true gospel. To the work of God in Jesus Christ. I need to be reminded, Ben, you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But by coming to Christ and believing in Him, are yet justified by His grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. You and I, we we repeatedly need to have our hearts recalibrated, our minds recentered upon Jesus Christ and Him alone. We need to fill our minds. We need to fill your hearts with the Scriptures. 
That's why verse 19, he tells us to, to be wise as to what is good and to be innocent as to what is evil. We need to know, we need to know in our minds and our hearts to be filled up with the word of truth. And when you do this, what's going to happen? You're going to see God more clearly. You're going to be reminded of who God is. And when you know who God is, then the believer knows that there's always hope. Whatever the shroud of confusion and darkness might be around you. Whatever you are enduring. Because I know there is God. And look at verse 20. It says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. It's an extraordinary statement. It's not the first time we've heard this in Scripture, though, is it? You're probably already thinking, I've heard this before. When God spoke to Eve all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, God makes that promise after the fall. And He tells her, you will have a child and, and your offspring will crush the head of the serpent, even though the serpent will bruise his heel. And we know that that is the story of God's work of redemption, and that is the story of the work of the Savior, Jesus Christ, what He does on the cross. And that's what God promises to those who are united to Him in Christ. A final and complete victory where sin will be no more, and every tear will be wiped away. There will be no more pain or sorrow. And instead of darkness and confusion, you will be in the presence of God. And there will be light and clarity and peace. You will be dwelling with Him without any obstacle in the way. My friends, God will crush His enemy. You need to know that. Hold fast to that in your hearts. And so instead of falling into cynicism when we look at the wickedness in the world and even when that such wickedness at times infiltrates into the church, we can instead be filled with hope. Because God, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And so Paul is able to give this benediction in verse 20, the second half of verse 20. He blesses them. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now when he says this, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shouldn't think of this as as grace being something like a, a thing that God gives you or that Jesus gives you. We've just had Christmas and we all, I hope, got Christmas presents and not just coal and you know you, you get a gift, you get a box, and there's something in that box, and you you open it up and you admire it, and you you gush over it, and you say thank you, and then after some time with it, you put it on the shelf, and uh, it, it's just sort of there now as a part of your house. That's not what the grace of Jesus Christ is. Rather, the grace of Jesus Christ is Christ. That's what Paul is saying here. That Christ is with you. The Savior Jesus is with you. That you have Him. 
That God does not rescue His people from the power of sin and then kind of leave you on, the, uh, on your own outside of the, the prison gates of, of sin and death. It's not like He gives you a map and says, okay, now go figure out life outside of the prison cell of sin. No, what, is he, what does He do? He, he brings you into His kingdom Himself. And He says, you are with Me. I give Myself to you. I am with you. And so that means that if you are in Christ, if you are a believer in the Lord, you are never on your own. Even in your darkest and most difficult moments, the Lord Jesus Christ is with you. And that's the grace God gives. Say, my son, my daughter, your Savior is with you even now. Even now. To have Christ as your glory, your justifier, your hope, your peace, your advocate, your defender. The one who stands for you. Isn't that good news? How do you, what are you supposed to say to that? I'm not going to go into cynicism or despair. Not with Christ with me. But rather... And live with confidence in, in God. And regardless of what's going on in my life, I'm going to worship the God of my salvation. Which brings us to this doxology in verses 25 through 27. The book of Romans appropriately ends not with instructions or a list of things to do or a warning. To watch out for the wolves. But it ends with a a praise. It ends with a sentence of, of worship. I mean, how else could this letter possibly end? After having contemplated the depths of the grace of Jesus Christ and the wonder of the glory of God, all that's left for Paul to do is praise Him. And to bring us along with Him to worship our God. If you've ever studied this doxology, you may know it's the longest doxology in the New Testament. If you spend any time examining it, it's a a grammarian's nightmare. It's complex. There's a lot going on. And we don't really have time to dive in unless we want to start a new series here. For our purposes tonight, though, I I want us to get a, a general sense of the force of this praise. If you look at it in its most basic, simplest form, here's what the doxology is saying, beginning in verse 25. Now to him, and then you skip down to verse 27, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. It's a lot of words to say those things, but that's essentially the main clause of his sentence. But if you step back a little bit further, widen your scope a little bit more, then you see that there are then two attributes that that, that Paul is really bringing our attention to. We see in verse 25, to him who is able. And then in verse 27, to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. See, our attention is meant to be drawn here to God's power, God is able, and God's wisdom, the only wise God. And what is the power of God? Well, verses 25 and 26 speak 
of the power of God. God is able. It's not like me talking about how, yes, I am able to hit a three-point shot. It just doesn't happen very often. No, you, you could translate this to say, not only is God able, God is powerful. God has power. And how does he use his power? He is powerful to do what? To strengthen you according to the gospel and preaching of Jesus Christ. God who has justified you and who will bring you to glory in Christ is now able, powerful, to give you strength. And this strengthening work of the gospel is not just for one people or place or time. But it says in verse 26, it's to all nations according to the command of the eternal God. And so what's being brought to mind here is that it doesn't matter where you're from, who it is you belong to, what your traditions are. Wherever you live, whenever you live, God has made a way for you to turn away from the darkness of the world and to turn to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith and be saved from your sins and then be strengthened in this life in preparation for the day of Christ's return. And what is the purpose of God's display and exercise of his power? Well, the end of verse 26 tells us to bring about the obedience of faith. What is man's chief sin? Man's chief sin is a failure to believe and glorify God. God does command that we would all believe. He commands that we have faith. And he has now spread his arms over the entire world and he takes lost, judgment-deserving sinners and he calls to them with the gospel of Jesus Christ and he brings them into new life. A life of faith. A life that is under the headship of Jesus Christ. Where we bow the knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we see from this that you can know someone who truly loves God. Because someone who truly loves God has a, has a life of faith, of the obedience of faith. It's not a life that feeds on its own appetites, but rather lives a life of daily obedience to God, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is exactly what God is strengthening us to do. God uses his power to give us the strength to live our days in faith and obedience to him. And you think, God, you could do anything. He spoke and the world came into existence and you display your power so that I can live a faithful life. But from our end of things, we need that power, don't we? We need God to do this in our lives, don't we? In our times of trouble or doubt or sadness or our loneliness and grief. We need God's power to strengthen our faith. To keep the heart and to live day to day to the glory 
of God. Praise God, he gives us himself that we may do this. God is powerful. God is also wise. Look at verse 27. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. What is the wisdom of God? It's the cross of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1 tells us, yes, this is foolishness to the world, but it is the wisdom of God executing His power to save. To be saved into Christ, to be strengthened, to live out a life of faith and obedience is so important. It is so needed in your life because as you see in verse 27, it brings you to see the whole point and purpose of your life to begin with. Why are you here? What am I supposed to do with this? How am I supposed to live? What is my point? The point and purpose of your life, my friends, is the glory of God. Everything fits. Everything fits. When you've come to know the saving love of Jesus Christ, your your purpose, your point, the end goal of everything that you do, your life, your work, your family, your pleasures... Is what? The glory of God. To Him be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. What does the saving love of Jesus do? We've seen this over and over throughout the book of Romans. What does it do? It places a new longing in our hearts. And that longing is this. To give glory to Him. To give glory to Him. Is this the longing of your heart tonight? If not, maybe you should ask yourself this evening, can I really be in Christ? If I don't want to give God glory. Now there may be times where you feel far from God's presence. Maybe you're feeling a bit cynical or on the edge of despair or find yourself in a very dark time, but even then, may it be true that what you want most of all in this life, no matter what you feel, is that my Savior would be glorified. You see, Paul's prayer here is not merely the conclusion of an extraordinary letter. But it is the conclusion of a man who himself was stopped in his tracks by the power of God through Jesus Christ and his gospel. Having been given new life, strengthened to live out a life of obedience of the faith, Paul knew the life-giving power of Jesus Christ. We see here in these verses the longing of a soul who had been rescued from eternal damnation and brought into union and life with the Lord Jesus Christ. Tonight may be a night of goodbyes, but for the one united to Christ, you will never need to say goodbye to your Savior. He will never leave you. Or forsake you. The object of your desire, no matter how difficult a season you may be in, will never be taken away from you. 
What do you long for tonight, my friends? Paul is saying, to God alone be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Are you able to say this, even in your weakness and sense of need? To Him be the glory. As we say goodbye to the book of Romans, may this be the response of our hearts and lives as well. May what our outward living may show the inward transformation of the grace of Jesus Christ. That in all that we do, we would give glory and praise to God alone. To Him be the glory. Would you please pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we marvel not only that you would reveal yourself to us, but that you would give us your Son, that we may know you and have life with you. Holy Spirit, fill our hearts with worship, not only tonight, but all of our days. And would you receive all glory in all that we do. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.